Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is Tuesday, December 6th, 2011, and this is episode 92. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me not from a secret location in the Fragrant Harbor, but actually joining me from Japan is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Konbanwa, Paul. Uh, konbanwa, everybody. Konnichiwa, uh, Kevin. How, how, what are you doing there in Japan? Uh, just taking a week to uh, recharge the battery, so mm. to speak. Uh, spend a little time hanging out, uh, watching movies, meeting friends. I just came out of a concert, actually, a couple hours ago, which is why we're starting at a different time, I guess, mm, tonight. Yeah. Uh, in addition to time difference, yeah. Okay, what, what, what was the concert? There was a Tokyo Jihan, is a band led by a, a singer named Shina Ringo, which I've been totally in love with for like six years. This is one of those bucket list things. It's so important, it was on my bucket list to see Shina Ringo live before I die. So now I've done it. So mm. I can, I'm one step closer to death, Paul. One step closer to the grave. Yeah, so yeah, where are, where are you on out and about? You're on the street right now, right? I'm on the street. I'm a man on the street. I'm standing uh, just outside the southeast exit of Shinjuku Station. I was under a big TV, but now I walked away to get a little better signal. But uh, for a Hong Kong film location, this is, um, if you see Moonlight in Tokyo, the beginning of the film where Leon Lai's character gets abandoned, this is the spot. Mm. All right. Do you feel uh, abandoned as well? No, sir. I'm just feeling a little cold. Yeah. Well, we we won't be abandoning abandoning you this evening, but we might you might get dropped now and then. So, if this episode does sound a little bit choppy, it's because we're dealing with um, some of the connection issues. Um, yeah. Right now, Skype's being a little bit nicer to us, so we seem to have a fairly good connection. But you're actually going to walk back in a little bit um, to your hotel. Is that right? Yeah, uh, about a 20 minute walk away from my hotel, and then that's my room. We have. By, uh, I think a steady connection. It's been well. It's been going. The connection's been good for the last couple of days, so I have full full confidence that it will it will go well once we start doing reviews and, and news. Well, well, you're on the street now. What what what, what are you what are you doing there besides uh, being cold? Uh just hanging out. I had a can of hot milk tea ready mm-hmm. that I finished. Uh, no, just just hang out to. To, to prove that I'm actually out here. Are, are, are <laughs> you, you know, be in my apartment and say, oh, I, I'm like, Are you perusing the uh, naughty uh, vending machines or anything like that? Now, 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 now. <laughs> I haven't ran. Okay, so I've walked away. I'm now on the way, walking on the way back and at different spots and where there's better reception. Hmm. And, and so, so it's more like... Uh, inform the, uh, the, 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 the tech heads out there. What are you actually broadcasting with? I, this this uh, call is brought to you by a SoftBank, uh, who I'm rented a uh, iPhone four iPhone four SIM card, micro SIM card. So I'm right now I'm broadcasting on their free G network. Mm. And you're just you using your iPhone. G network is. Yeah, I'm just using my iPhone. Mm. So um, and the data is capped at fifteen hundred yen. So yeah, I'm just going crazy here. But yeah, I mean that just the fact that my calls keep dropping that tells you how good SoftBank's free key is out here. <laughs> 
actually, no, it's gotten better. I'm walking I'm now two blocks away from where I was. I'm walking through the heart of Shinjuku now, so to speak. Hmm. So I'm not sure how much noise you're picking up. No, uh, you, you sound good. Um, you know, when the signal's stable, you're sounding good. I can hear some stuff in the background, some nice uh, atmospheric goings-ons. And any cosplayers nearby? Uh, there were actually a bunch of, uh, I think, Visual K or cosplayer that were setting up just from where I was standing. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure what they were doing. Uh, on the way back, I'm going to be walking by these, the gay neighborhood of Tokyo, I think. And I've seen like a drag queen or two around there already. Hmm. <laughs> but otherwise, don't get uh, sidetracked now we have a show to do no 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll behave don't worry i behaved so what, what have i missed in hong kong paul what's what's going on out there uh nothing a whole lot of nothing um a whole lot of nothing yeah you know it's pretty much the same um you know a little bit later we're going to be talking about the latest hong kong film magic to win and i think you saw that before you uh left right so that was unfortunately a, i did that was a parting gift uh, <laughs> from hong kong to you before your vacation um so yeah i mean what have you seen movies there while you've been in japan i have caught uh three movies already i've caught um moneyball starring brad pitt um am i still on yeah okay yeah. i have caught moneyball starring brad pitt um also happy feet 2 uh well that's out that's already for, yeah, it's actually, it went day and day in, in Japan here, but flopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and t- this morning, I just caught uh, Shion Sono's, uh, the Japan cut of uh, Guilty of Romance. Mm-hmm. So that's three movies. And this weekend, I'm trying to catch also um, Martin Scorsese's um, George Harrison documentary, the four and a half hour documentary. And um, I think also Mitani Koki's new movie, uh, Once in a Blue Moon. Mm-hmm. And so, so are- I mean, you're watching Japanese films there. Are they subtitled? No, not at all. Um, Guilty of Romance, I didn't pick up actually a lot of what's going on, but the plot is very basic, and uh, Shion Sono uses a lot of visual storytelling, so I understood about about 40% of it, and of mm. course I speak a little bit Japanese, so so about 40, give and take 40%. Mm. Yeah, and that's you know that's a, that's on a good day, I mm. think. And so how how are you finding it getting out and about with um, you know basic Japanese skills? Well, um, the other thing is I lived here for a year and, and I come here countless times after that. So Tokyo is virtually like my third home. So I know the city very well. Oop, that was on me. Uh, <laughs> I've known the city quite well. Um, and I'm, I'm staying in Shinjuku, which is kind of like one of my big stomping grounds, I guess, in Tokyo. So, yeah, it's like being home again. Mm. <laughs> Love this place. And, yeah, the thing about... There's a lot of things I admire about Japan, you know, from uh, something that's related to a show, I mean, movie going, okay? Like, when I go to the movies, uh, before the movie, they, take, they, they show you, they replay rules about uh, how to behave in a movie theater. You know, like, don't talk, don't kick the, don't kick the scene in front of you, don't, don't rec- no, no video recording and all that. And people actually follow it. Mm. No, people don't talk. They talk, and when they talk, they whisper. Uh, they don't take out their cell phones, uh, usually because there's no service anyway. Um, and they all behave very well. Um, yeah. The only thing that, that that pissed off the guy next to me was because the guy on behind him kicked the seat once in a while. He got all agitated. <laughs> in Hong Kong, we would just kind of not say anything. But Japan, this is you know people behave so well here. And yeah, and I mean, it would really be a rude awakening for any Japanese folks to come and watch a movie at the Dynasty with us. Then, oh, I think they would they would <laughs> kick our ass. Get all samurai <laughs> on us, right? That's right. Um, so, so that sounds good. Sounds like you're having a good time. You've been doing a lot of shopping. 
yes, I finally started uh, shopping for you know some CDs and movies and stuff today. Um, what else? What else did I buy? I bought some stuff, of course, for our friends back in Hong Kong. Um, who, uh, some other stuff like that. Uh, today I bought a DVD and uh, quite a few albums at a secondhand store. You know, just yeah, the usual shopping. I also bought, of course, new jackets, new glasses, no, new glasses and new shoes. Hmm. But that's that, that's not related to the show. Well, you had mentioned before, um, also related to movies, that you had visited the Miyazaki Museum. That's right. Uh, I visited the Ghibli Museum on what day was that? Sunday. Um, yeah, it was it was quite nice. I'm, I'm a Ghibli fan, so uh, walking into this land of you know a lot of Ghibli memorabilia, a lot of like sketches, and a lot of things about how Ghibli movies are made. And of course, there's even um, a museum, a movie that's just produced just to show at the museum, a 16 minute short uh, produced just for the museum. And they and they switch the movies every couple of months. So of course I got to sit in on that. So, yeah, that was one tomorrow. I'm gonna hit the uh, the Fujiko Museum. Fujiko is the guy who invented Doraemon, the mm. robot, robot cat. So that's my that's that's the plan tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Doraemon, you can uh, see him played by John Reno now, right? John Reno. Oh yeah, those are the greatest ads ever. Yes. Uh, <laughs> essentially, the the, the, gig, the gimmick is that um, the characters. Are now 30 years old, but you know, still dealing with the same problem. For example, the Nobita, the, the glasses, the four eye um, hero, he's still um, trying to get uh, his, his, his uh, female friend, and of course, he's still getting, getting uh, uh, for lack of a better word, cock block. So, of course, <laughs> Doraemon, Doraemon uh, has to come out, come back, uh, and help him. And of course, with, with gadgets, um, but of course, they but then, of course, the, the lesson is that Nobita learns that he doesn't need the gadget. He just needs a car from Toyota. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. The so Japanese cars yes. saved the day once again. That's right. So, um, yeah. so, yeah, that sounds good. Was the Miyazaki Museum, or the Ghibli Museum, was that, um, did that meet your expectations? Um, was it was it bigger or smaller? Or were there were, were, was there less or more than you were expecting to see? Uh, it's not very big. It's about three stories, but uh, the size of each each floor isn't very big. But but to go compensate, there's a lot of things you can just look at for a long time. Of course, I didn't have a time because I had, I was meeting some people for lunch after that, and I didn't spend too much time there. But um, I didn't really have I didn't know what to expect. Uh, Ghibli um, things. I, I think I, I think I saw what I expected. Hmm. So it was and big, is um, it? Did they, know, a, did they have a? Did they have a? Sort of like a full-scale robot from Laputa. Um, they're supposed to be, but I didn't see it. For some reason, it's not there, or I was in the wrong spot, but I, I didn't catch that. Mm. Uh, but it did have the uh, the cat bus from Totoro mm. in there, and you can actually sit in the cat bus. So I mean, that's another childhood dream because I always was. Was Totoro, it all furry was, inside? Yes, it's all furry inside. There's like seats along the sides so of who actually sit down on it. Um, so you know, I, for Totoro, I always liked the cat bus more than. The other characters hmm. so that was like my childhood dream and another thing checked off like yeah. oh, so i saw the i saw the cat bus yeah. all right did you did you uh, was there a lot of um i'm imagining the gift shop must be a significant portion and one of my fears would be uh you know basically coming out with a second mortgage uh from from a place like that yeah, the, the gift shop takes up about half this half the top floor, which is the end of the tour. Um, I bought like a, I bought a cat bus cat bus music box, <laughs> and that cost about three thousand yen. 
Yeah, so it, it's quite expensive, but I'm not sure how much of these stuff are exclusive at the museum. Mm. That's the thing. Um, there are a lot of Ghibli merchandise out there, and I'm not entirely sure which one's exclusive and which one's not. Yeah. So and, and, uh, Speaking of um, Ghibli, the studio's got a new movie coming, is that right? That's right. Uh, it's along of Poppy Hill. Um, it's already come out in Japan. It cut. It did very, not very good at the box office uh, because it's not directed by Hayao Miyazaki, but actually his son, Goro. Um, and, but the thing is, the word about the film is not that it's not bad. But mm. for some reason, it didn't do well at the box office. Um, we'll see it in Hong Kong in, uh, I think, uh, Lunar New Year. Yeah. yeah. Just like usually when Ghibli movies come out. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, so what's the food been like? Food's been great, man. I, you know, I, I, there's a ramen shop here I swear by that I worship. It's called Iran, which is where I went just be before we started recording. Uh, I, I, before the concert, I went to, have, I went to a, a fried uh, pork cutlet place that apparently won Michelin star or two stars, one star, I don't know. But the, the meal was only 970 yen, which is, you know, perfectly acceptable by, by, by Japanese standards. Uh, and it was one of the best pork cutlets I've ever had in my life. Um, yeah, now of course I meet up, met up with people who are taking me to some nice shops. Last time I met up with um, Jason Gray uh, and Emin Yo. Emin Yo is a Malaysian filmmaker, is based in Japan, uh, and also Jason Gray, he's a Japan correspondent for Screen Daily, and uh, there's a lot of subtitling and stuff. So he took me to this great uh, chicken place in the basement. Yeah, I can I can go on and on about food out here. Mm. It's great. So when are you coming Even back? Uh, I am coming back this Saturday at noon, but if I have a limit, limitless amount of cash, I will be back the week after. So <laughs> I'll be back in Japan the week after and mm. never leave. Mm. But I don't, so I'll be back on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, what, what are the remaining... I love this place. This is like... What are your remaining plans for uh, the next few days? Do you have any other concerts lined up or uh, any other um, specific events? Uh, specific events tomorrow. I got the museum. Um, tomorrow night, I'm also meeting some people. Friday night, I'm meeting some people, and also Friday afternoon, I have another meeting lined up. Um, but uh, you know, of course, try and catch a few more movies. Uh, 50 50, Seth Rogen is playing here. Um, and I'm not sure if it's still playing in Hong Kong because it was already unlimited showings when I left. So if I have the time, I might catch that and I'll probably hit a few more secondhand shops given you know, provided I have the cash. Mm. And I mean, I think you could probably talk to uh, Boss Kozo, you know, tell him, uh, yes, Asia needs a, uh, a Tokyo correspondent, right? <laughs> we we did have a have a we do have a Japanese editor in Tokyo, so that kind of there's no real point on on sending me out there out here. But you know, Hong Kong is still my home. I miss everyone in Hong Kong. I miss you, Paul. Yeah. I miss the movie group. I miss uh, cheaper food, cheaper movies. I miss uh, not having to worry about running out of money tomorrow. <laughs> That's a big problem in Tokyo. <laughs> that is a big problem in Tokyo because, you know, I, I, last night I was taking a subway back to... I took a one, one stop on a subway back to my hotel because it was too cold. And it cost me 160 yen, which is $16. Yeah. Hong Kong dollars. And that's, that's almost... That's, that's about halfway to Shenzhen. Yeah, <laughs> that money. That's so, a, that's a that's pretty much a full price uh, ticket from the very top of Hong Kong down to um, uh, TST. 
That's right. Um, um, and yeah. you know, it's it's it, well, it's kind of like right in between. If you're if you're getting uh, the the regular ticket, it's a little bit less. If you're getting the first class ticket, it's a little bit more. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So I mean, just I, and that was one stop. I mean, that's like for me, that's just took off maybe ten minutes off my walk. Hmm. So I mean, it's not like it's a it's a terribly long distance. Yeah. And and so, so that's, dear listener, if you're wondering why Kevin sounds a little bit winded right now, it's because he's actually walking back to his hotel. Rather than taking yes. one of the more uh, um, fiscally expensive means of transportation, taxi's pr- taxi's pretty expensive there too, right? Yeah, it wouldn't make sense. I think it's only one kilometer. Yeah, taxis start at seven hundred eighty yen, I believe, wow. eight hundred yen, which is eighty dollars Hong Kong dollars. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's pretty bad. And plus, I mean, the walk is nice. The air is crisp and the air is great out here. And I'm gonna jaywalk now. Hold on. Don't let any Japanese people see me doing this. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the air is crisp. It's a little cold. It's a little chilly. But good thing about a 20-minute walk to a train station is that by the time you get to your train station, you're all warmed up. Yeah. You're going to walk. So it's, it's nice. I mean, the only bad thing is the, uh, the rain picked up this afternoon. It's a bit of rain. Um, and that made, you know, holding a bag and walking kind of tough. But uh, otherwise, I mean, tomorrow is going to be sunny again. It was sunny on Monday. The weather's beautiful otherwise. Um, yeah, it's... I don't even mind the cold so much, as long as I have a new nice coat, which mm. I do. So if we have listeners out there who've never been to Japan, who don't really speak much Japanese, you know, thinking about a trip to Tokyo, what would be your advice to them? Hmm. Learn some Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, in, I'm not sure how often people will be asked for directions. Um, if, you're, if you don't speak Japanese, then get, you know, read a map, study a map, study it really well. Um, and don't be... And don't be intimidated by a crowd. Um, if you're in Tokyo, it, it gets quite hectic. Um, even I'm from Hong Kong. Even the first first night, I was hang, walking around the train station. It's just Saturday night, and it was like even I got a little overwhelmed just for about a second. Did they have but, to? Um, did they have to push you sardine style into the train? No. Apparently, what I didn't remember is that um, that people actually walk in opposite directions. They're like like you're supposed to stay to your left. Hmm. And that's why I keep forgetting. So I'm like, I'm like, swerving through the crowd when I'm not supposed to because it's like it was like, I'm like I'm walking against like a swarm of fish or something. I just keep running. Yeah, it was. But now I kind of picked up the pace. I picked up on the, on the pacing and the, the direction and the, the swarms. And yeah, I think uh, you know, yeah, don't get overwhelmed by the crowd or try and try and get over the 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 running and don't um. Don't get don't get tempted by all the drink, the, the vending machines, because those drinks are actually quite expensive once you add them up. Mm. Especially when they have the warm drinks, the warm drinks are great, but again, the money adds up. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yes, yeah, study a map. Um, Tokyo. Um, movies cost a lot. <laughs> That's how I <would> say. <laughs> Just a bring a lot of cash. Yeah. Seriously, because it's a cash society. So unless you're going to big chain stores, um, everything else is gonna need cash. So bring. Lots of cash. Mm. And so, I mean, to- did, did, how much? How much? Um, how much did you take for spending money? Did you have stuff planned out that you wanted to buy? I did have stuff that I planned I wanted to buy, uh, but I planned to use credit card, and I kind of messed up on the money. The daily, I had a daily allowance for myself, but I kind of miscalculated it. Yeah. Um, but so now, but I'm just gonna compensate for the next couple of days. Uh, try and keep spending on a card and use less cash. Otherwise, um, credit card do you do have a service charge? We use a credit card, but 
um, yeah. I totally mis- mis- underestimate the cash. So I'd rather rather get take take the service charge than to you know risk the service fee from the ATM. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean bring bring some cash on hand. That's for sure. Have you ever run into Danny Chu while you were there? Danny Chu, ah, the guy who does the Darth Vader videos, the right? Stormtrooper, the dancing yeah, stormtrooper guy, dancing yeah, yeah. stormtrooper. Yeah. No, no, I haven't run into any any of that shenanigans yet. Yeah. Sadly. No, no. I think if I was there, that'd be the guy I'd want to want to run into and meet and talk to. He's 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 super popular though. He's a cultural icon now. Oh yeah, I mean, is um, he still out here? I think so. I mean, his his uh, his site is still going strong. Um, let's okay. see. I'm looking at. Uh, and okay, this, this is day six in Tokyo. Uh, this looks like uh, November twenty seventh. So, uh, I guess he's still there and still dancing. Okay. And uh, cool. doing doing stuff. His site is amazing. Cool. I wish I, I wish I had one one hundredth of his uh, his traffic, right? Of, not his traffic, just his skills in in in, <laughs> in the, the site design and the stuff that he does. It's just amazing. So, are you back yet? That's Where okay. are you at? No, I'm I'm nearby, but um, I'm gonna stop by the the convenience store and get get a little thing, and then um, I'm about block my hotel now. So, all right, uh, yeah, we'll be back. So, before you yeah, know it, dear listener. No sex, no drugs, no wine, no women, no fun, no sin, no you, no wonder it's dark. Everyone around me is a total stranger. Everyone avoids me like a cyclone ranger. Everyone. That's why I'm turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think so. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think so. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think so. Right. Um, so we're here to talk about a film, uh, one one e-scream film this week, and that is the latest film from Hong Kong called Magic to Win. So, Kevin, you saw this film, uh, the last film before you departed the Fragrant Harbor. So, what can you tell us about this latest film feature from Wilson Yip? Uh, so, uh, actually, I talked to Kozo before I left, before I watched the film, and he explained to me the essentially the happy ghost formula because this is um raymond's one so-called revival of the happy ghost franchise except you know done for china and, and there have been there have been uh, on record uh five films i believe today right yeah right. Uh, so, actually six if because uh, there was one a few years ago right uh yes it was remade as uh also produced by produced by raymond wong called nine girls and a ghost uh with edison chen as the ghost, and of course the entire cookies as the nine girls. So the, the formula is usually um, there's a ghost, of course, you know, who's who may be happy, uh, and uh, there's usually a group of girls, and um, one of them can, I guess, who is the star can always see the ghost, and the ghost would use the human being to to achieve some kind of uh, uh, goal. Is that so? I mean, Paul, you're you're familiar with this this, yeah. this franchise, right? You, you usually the ghost is. Um in need of something, closure or or some kind of help, and so a deal or a bargain is struck. You know where the ghost um, helps the girl and her friends to do something 
um, or requires some kind of service or favor before she will in turn, you know, um, help, help the ghost. Mm-hmm. So, give, so give up the ghost as it were. Okay. So, um, <laughs> here, here, the, the formula is brought back. Of course they can't use ghosts anymore. Um, because of China, uh, instead now they're playing with wizardry, um, and magic and whatnot. Um, so here the film stars uh, Corinne M as the um, the happy girl. Now, have uh, we seen she, her be- before? No, she's a newcomer. Yeah. She's the first time. I think this is the first time she's acting. I'm not sure about her background because she just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, she plays this girl who who goes to a prep school, which uh, of course is named after the the, the film's production company. Um, which is, by the way, started by Raymond Wong uh, to give his son the role to give his son essentially the chance to to write to write scripts. So um, yeah, it's this this is pretty much nepotism at its at its best. Um, because the school, the prep school is you don't know where it is. Um, anyway, one day uh, she runs into uh, a, a lost a lost magician because. Uh, I think the film has what five kinds of magic, and I'm not familiar with which they are. Let's see: water, uh, land, earth, uh, wood, uh, fire, and water. Did I ever say water? Uh, yeah, it's it's water, uh, gold, uh, wood, oh, gold, okay, fire, wood. and earth. Okay, yeah. so she 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 runs into this um, magician, uh, the the earth magician, played by pop star Wu Jun, who was last seen in uh, My Kingdom, and apparently. He is the happy ghost here because um, during a duel with the fire magician, the evil fire magician, magician played by Wu Jing, uh, somehow became invisible and also I think lost his powers. So he's wandering around the school for whatever reason because he's lost his memory, so he doesn't know what he's doing at the school either. Um, so she's been she's able to see him, but before that, she also had a run in with the school's professor played by Raymond Wong, um, who actually is the water magician. So in their in their little encounter, she managed to pick up his power. So um, so now you have uh, this girl who accidentally picks up the magic power now sees the invisible magician, and of course he wants her to help him. I don't remember what what why what he wanted him to help or what he wanted her to help him with, but uh, he did it by essentially blackmailing her to ruin her business because she's been using her magic magic to run a business where she can help people win things. Which uh, makes absolutely no sense. But meanwhile, um, Mirror Wandy Water Magician is trying to figure out how to get his power back, and of course, the evil Fire Magician um, is going after each magician, including um, uh, which one did Louis Ku play? The green, um, the green. What's the green he was, magic? He was the wood, uh, the wood magician. Okay, the yeah, wood and, magician. And he had like um, spe- his special power too was uh, to see the future. Really. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, that was the whole thing. Remember, he wrote the books and. Oh yeah, he wrote the books. Right. And uh, I, I think the reason why uh, Wu Jing's character went after him first was because he was supposed to know, um, you know, what was coming. Oh wow! The plot suddenly made sense, <laughs> more sense. Because okay, here I'll go into the problem with the film later. But okay, so he's going after each magician and Lewis Koo as a wood magician only has about three scenes in the movie. But anyway, um, so he goes after each magician, including the wood magician and the gold magician played by a magician named Tony Jang, who is apparently really big in Japan. Um, and of course he wants to go after the water magician played by Raymond Wan, who is, has lost his power. So that's pretty much sets, sets the path for, for a ultimate magic battle. 
uh, so to speak, in the school. Um, so just like Paul was saying, you know, apparently there's all, all these things in the script that I couldn't pick up because the film is so it's put together in such a slapdash way. Like it wants to have the 80s comedy formula. Um, of course, also the happy ghost formula. But then it's also really obsessed about its own mythology in a way that, you know, you have this whole bits of the bits of comedy and suddenly it switches to be really serious about mythology and powers and all that stuff. Um, and the two don't really mesh, mesh together very much. Um, Wilson Yip actually has done comedies before, um, but this is very much obviously a work for hire because, you know, it's very much that's that slapstick 80s type of humor that Raymond Wong thinks is funny, but no longer funny. In fact, in fact, this film kind of reminded me of Oswald Ends World 2009, where it thinks it's really funny, but none of the comedy really work. Because, first of all, the, chron- the chronological order of the story doesn't really work because uh, it deals with how um, the girl, Karina Ng, how she picks up the power. And then it digresses into this whole thing where she uses her magic to run the business with the girl with her friends, and then it goes back into the mythology plot. So meanwhile, while she's like using these two weeks to pick up the power, one, what is the fire magician doing? Uh, why is he? You know, he kept he's talking about how how long he's waited to grab all his power. But I'm like, what were you doing the last two weeks? Like hibernating in a cave? You know, none of the none of the chronological or just no real real um what's the word? No motivation. The plot doesn't really have any. Um, tension or anything like that it just kind of goes goes along the the, the motions. Um, Raymond Wall is just yeah. Raymond Wall's a star apparently. At least in the first half of the film, he's kind of, or at least the first thirty minutes of the film, he's kind of a star. And then, um, of course, the film's epic battle, the climax. It is the showdown of the century. It is Wu Jing versus Raymond Wall. <laughs> You know, I think Kozo said it best. He, he thought that he thought that Jet Li versus Charlene Choi was like the worst action <laughs> action climax of the year. Now you get Wu Jing versus Raymond Wong, which you know I'm sure everyone wants to see. Um, you know, Raymond Wong, it, Raymond Wong stunned great movies in the '80s. Okay, I'm sure he's done great comedy. He did the Oscar and Soul movies in the '90s, um, and he's very, very well respected. But now he's kind of gotten this formula where apparently people ask him to bring back things. I think he's recycling things for the mainland market. And that's what it feels like here. He's just recycling things. Um, the script writer, of course, Edmund Wong, uh, who is Raymond Wong's son, um, just, just, you know, essentially the movie, the, the script only got made because it's that he, he's his own production company. Um, you have things, real, really, really uninspired ideas, like uh, the duo in the library, which he says, you know, it's, it's an action design that's as good as Hollywood, but that's because he stole it straight from Star Wars. <laughs> you know, there's a whole lightsaber duo in that scene, and, you know, I can't believe he called it original. Um, and there's no reason for a lightsaber battle. There's no humor in the lightsaber battle. It's just supposed to look cool, but it's not really that cool because I've already seen all six Star Wars movies. So I don't need, I don't need any more of that. Um, the... Yeah, the whole film just dragged and wouldn't end, and the problem is not funny, and it takes itself too seriously at times, but also not silly enough to be funny. The whole thing's a drag, and I, you know, the whole time I'm watching, I'm wondering what happened to Wilson Yip. I wonder, you know, why, how much money he got paid to essentially do this movie for hire, because there's no trace of Wilson Yip in here, and it's not even, you know, it's not even like the action fans, you know, I'm sure they're like SPL and Flashpoint, but I'm talking about the old Wilson Yip who made, you know, Biozombies. And um, <laughs> even, uh, uh, what, what, what was that one with uh, 
Dry wood, fierce fire, dry wood. Yeah. yeah. Even that one had, you know, some really good sense of humor in there. I mean, that's a really minor piece of work, uh, considering both Miriam Yearn and Louis Kusumography also was in Yips. But I mean, at least I laughed and it's a cute story and you know, the, the humor is, is funny. Here is just there's no trace of any there. Anyone could have made this movie. The director of Nine Ghosts and Nine Nine Girls and a Ghost could have made this movie, and it'd be the same thing, mm-hmm. I think. Um which, yeah. which, which makes me wonder how much of this was actually Wilson Yip and how much was Raymond Wong. I think much of it was Edmund Wong. Actually, I think he's, he's both scriptwriter and producer. And, of course, Raymond Wong, the, he's the boss. Yeah. So uh, I think it's those two, those two um, calling the shots and Wilson Yip's just there to, you know, say action. Because <laughs> I don't see any, you know, the acting isn't great. Not that it's bad. Wu Jing is totally wasted. I'm not sure why they put Wu Jing in essentially what is a special effects role where it just fires off under fireballs. Um, they could have gotten a more, I guess, a more intimidating actor for the role or bigger actor. I don't know why. But um, the whole thing's a mess. It's a disaster. I think it's one of the worst films of the year. Um, Magic may win, but we all lost. <laughs> hmm. Wow. Well, well I, I'm going to defend it. A little bit. Oh no! Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna diverge with you a little bit on this. Um, you know, it is the happy ghost formula. It's the happy ghost formula meets Harry Potter. And in fact, if you look at in the trailer when you see Raymond Wong, he looks like an old grandfather version of Harry Potter. Um, I think that's kind of intentional. You know, they give him sort of the round rim glasses. He's his outlook is has everything except the you know the uh, lightning bolt on the forehead. Um, so there is really absolutely nothing original that's going on here. The the concept they're bar- borrowing of the, you know, the 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 five elements and using them, um, you can you've seen that done before. You've seen it done better. I mean, even even cartoons like Full Metal Alchemist or um, the the Last Airbender and, and things like that. Um, it's nothing really new. Um, yeah, Raymond Wong is not what he used to be. But I don't think this is a terrible attempt. This isn't like, um, you know, All's Well, Ends Well, um, 2009 bad in my book. Um, it had decent effects in places. I didn't think the, the effects were fantastic, but some of the some of the magic battles I thought were, were okay, um, you know, given the size of, and scope of this movie. Um, I do agree that, you know, the, when you talk about the happy ghost formula, um, especially if you go back to the... Um, the first three films, or, or really the first two films, because the first two films were directed by Clifton Coe, and it was at a time when sort of Raymond Wong was was up and coming. He wasn't the powerhouse producer that he is today. Um, but, you know, it, it really introduced a lot of people. It introduced Raymond Wong. He, he became, you know, classically known as the Happy Ghost for quite some time afterwards. You also have um, people like Loletta Lee and Bonnie Law, um, May Lowe and, and others getting their start. And um, I think uh, Kenneth in the chat room said his favorite is um, Happy Ghost 3, which was directed by Johnny Toe and also starred uh, Maggie Chung. You know, so th- the series has some deep, deep roots when we think about uh, Hong Kong cinema and, and people who've worked in cinema, people who are now considered icons. You know, they're, it's sort of like Wong Jing. You know, Wong Jing is at some point pretty much worked with everybody and, and touched everybody in some way, shape, or form. Um, but who've people who've gone on to leave Wong Jing behind in terms of building themselves up and, and moving beyond the, the scope and the quality that he tends to work with. 
Um, but you know, the formula is basically that it's the same formula. You've, you've changed a few names, you've, you've added a couple things, but it's still girls in a secondary school. Um, there's some there, you know, in, in the early ones, I don't remember if it was volleyball or it was some other sport field soccer, something that's been a while since I've watched them, but there was some kind of sport involved that the girls were really bad at. And then they got really good at, I think one of them was, was with basketball. Um, and you know, the, the ghost character comes and helps them win. And so here it's volleyball. And at the very least, I can say the volleyball sequences in this film were better than Beach Spike. Yes, that's what we all thought. You know? Oh my God, these are real volleyball. So, we well, said. well, a couple of the scenes was a CG volleyball. For, for the most part, they, the girls were really hitting real volleyballs in, in some of the wide shots. Um, or if they weren't, they were really, really well done because it looked real. Um, but, you know, that... On, on that merit alone, it's already a better film, right? Um, but yeah, the, there's this subplot with the volleyball coach, and she's just over the top and, and not not really a believable character, and she's kind of there to be a, a foil for the Raymond Wong character and then later a little bit of a love interest. It never really makes any connection, never really feels like it's going anywhere. The girls themselves, too, are just annoying. Um you know, when I think about the Happy Ghost Girls in the, the first two films, at least, um, you know, they're kind of endearing, and and each one has a little bit of a different personality, um, and just very memorable and, and cute in in some way. But the girls here are not cute. You don't really get to know any of them except for the main character, uh, Karina. And for me, she just did not have any charisma at all. I don't know why. She was picked as the newcomer. I don't know if she's, like you said, I don't know her history. I don't know if she won some kind of, um, you know, talent show competition or something. But I was actually, I found some of the girls in her little crew more interesting than she was. And I felt they would have been a better lead than she was. I just feel she did, she really brought nothing to the role for me. Um, that's not to say that she can't go on, you know, and, and become better over time. Um, I think if you go back and you watch nine girls and a ghost and you look at what the cookies who are still around now you know people like carrie and um and, and steffi and uh who's the other one mickey right mickey. um you look at some of the stuff they do now and, and they've improved um by by leaps and bounds over the kind of stuff they were doing in nine girls and a ghost in, in some instances um but yeah, here they're just annoying. They're materialistic. You know, it's just it, the first thing they start doing is thinking, how the, how the, can they use this to set up a business and make money? Yeah, which makes you it know? real likable. Yeah. Um, like... And and so it was just, there was nothing really there to connect with. Um, uh, Wu-Jun is just himself. You know, he's basically being the same character he's been in, in a lot of other roles. Um, he's trying to be sort of the sympathetic guy. Uh, the, you know, the the guy that the girl's going to fall for. In, in a sense, he's the ghost here for a while uh, because, you know, he fills the role where nobody can... He, he gets trapped between two worlds and only uh, Karina M's character, Macy, can see him when once she's she ends up absorbing Raymond Wong's character's magic for a bit. Um, and But I was really more interested in the plot about the magicians. You know, I, I wanted to see more of of that plot and and when the whole thing sort of revealed at the end it's kind of like a well and eh, that's kind of lame um you know it, it, the way they try and wrap things up and and the whole backstory to that event just didn't make sense you know because there i don't want to spoil it there's this event that happens that sort of prompts the fire magician 
um, to, to go seeking after and trying to steal the powers of all the other magicians. But when you look at what happens, you, you just think, how is that possible? I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it involves a fire, and, and I shouldn't really, really say too much because you heard the news about the fire, right, last week? Uh, yes, in, in, in yeah. Uh, I mean, there was, there was this fire in, in uh, one of the street markets here in Mongkok, and uh, my wife told me about it. I hadn't heard about it um, until I got home in the evening. And it was it's huge news because like nine people died, and I'm thinking how do, how is that possible? How can nine people die? How can a fire spread so quickly in a modern city like you know Hong Kong that that nine people can die? Maybe one or two I could see, but nine. Well, especially because it's a big city like Hong Kong and yeah. in the street markets, and you know one one starts you know it's like Redcliffe yeah, at the end of Redcliffe when you know when the fire spread everything really caught up, and and I, I guess that's kind of what they were going for in in the movie here but the way that it was put together from a filmic sense was just kind of lame um but you know i again there there were a couple of the battle scenes that i i got kind of got into i liked raymond wong's character a little bit here even though it's kind of old hat um i thought he was kind of funny in a few places not not overly so um but i liked him as this sort of obi-wan kenobi kind of guy um you know the 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 one guy. What's his name? Um, uh, who who's the guy from Japan? Who's Tony the... Jang? Tony I'm Jang. I'm not sure if he's from Japan or he's yeah. Not... yeah, but even the credit says Tony Jang. Yeah, the most popular magician this year. Yeah, Kama, he's, he's apparently a real magician, or a, yes. a, like a, a not doing quote unquote real magic, but doing stage magic. And so they have this whole thing where he's like putting on a show. His character's putting on a show, and I felt that really just felt tacked on. It's like. We'll we'll get you know Penn and Teller to be in our movie, but they've got to do their act at some point. You know, um, I I don't really like when they do stuff like that. I don't mind if you bring a celebrity on from another field as an actor, but let them just be an actor. You know, don't don't make them do their shtick as well. Um, so that part kind of felt tacked on. I but you know again I could have gotten into the more plot if the lead characters weren't so stupid. You know, it's it's like you were saying. There's this whole build up that sort of sets the plot in motion. And then this thing happens where the character Macy switches powers with, um, she, or she absorbs uh, Raymond Wong's powers. So she's suddenly wandering around doing able to do all this incredible stuff. And everybody, all her friends are like, they're, they're like, okay with it. They're not freaked out. They're just like, how oh, we can make money with this. And she can see people that nobody else can. And then she finds out that all of this is happening because of this incident that happens with her professor, who's was Raymond Wong. But she doesn't even, you know, think, oh, hey, I, there's this guy I can see. Is that strange? Am I supposed to be able to do that? You know, they, they, they could have really ended this movie around 45 minutes if <laughs> people would have talked about stuff like that, which should have happened but didn't happen. Instead, you know, they go off and, and do other stuff. Um, the, if you look at the trailer, there is a lightsaber battle. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, that's not, you know, what are they, they're pulling out magic swords or something. No, those are actual lightsabers. And I'm not <laughs> going to tell you how that comes into existence. Um, it, I mean, it's it's okay. It's kind of quirky, kind of neat. But I've got, I've got to think there's going to be a lawsuit at some point. It has point. no humor about it. It has no humor about it. it. It's no sense of magic. I mean, for a movie about magic, you have no sense of magic. <laughs> I mean, well, it's just... just it's it's Avatar style magic is what is exactly what it is. It's the same kind of stuff. It's spectacle, you know, battle spectacle that you see in like the Last Airbender and stuff like that. But if you're not really invested in the characters, it's kind of hard to get behind. Um, the um, uh, 
but but the, the lightsaber thing is interesting because you know Lewis Koo is a huge Star Wars nut, and I think we've talked about this before, where he's tried a couple times to get sort of a Chinese remake or a Chinese version of Star Wars off the ground, and and you know obviously getting that kind of money is next to impossible for Chinese films, and science fiction just doesn't sell well over here still, um, at least in terms of local films. But I, I, it kind of makes me wonder if the hook to get him to be in this movie, because he doesn't have a major part, but the hook to get him in was for Raymond Wong or whoever to put in that, that little lightsaber battle. Um, I've got to think there's a, there, that's related somehow, because he's such a Star Wars geek. Yeah, what the 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 um, while we're watching the film, one someone in our group actually theorized that because um, Lewis had an injury on what was it, Chinese ghost story, or he injured his foot, his leg actually twice last year or this year, he's injured his leg twice. Um, the first time, not sure when. The second time, caused him to drop out of the the Yang movie directed by Ronnie Ronnie Yu. So someone theorized that because Lewis Ku got hurt, that's why he couldn't take on a more major role hmm. in the film. Kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... So yeah, it's got a lot of problems, but I still kind of had fun with it in some ways. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's... It's certainly not the worst film of the year. It's certainly not the worst Raymond Wong film I've seen in the last couple years. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I had a little bit of fun with it in places. Um, of course, I'd, I'd st strongly recommend anybody to go back and watch the first couple of, uh, of, uh, Happy Ghost films. And, uh, have you seen any of those, Kevin? No, uh, even if I had, it's probably during my childhood and I don't remember. Yeah, you should go back and watch them. I mean, they're, they're, they're fun and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're classics pretty much. Um, I think, uh, Kenneth in the chat room said his favorite was Three, which, uh, was Johnny Toe, um, and, uh, Maggie Chung. Um, and then, so the first two is uh, Loletta Lee. It's basically one and two have the same cast, similar plot, um, but not they're not the same characters. Um, three brings in um, Maggie Chung. Uh, four features the boy band Beyond at that time. And then, as I boy mentioned, boy band, yeah, boy band. Sorry, <laughs> they were a boy band at that time, were they not? They were a band, a real band. Yes. They were boys. They were boys, but they were a boy a, band. Come but on. boy band usually indicates that they don't they don't have any real talent or they don't play instruments, you know, beyond beyond's a real band. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Well, um and then five was uh, Chris Aquino from the Philippines. And five was kind of uh, not not uh, kind of the worst of the bunch, I think. Um, and it was co actually co-directed by Raymond Wong, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because Raymond Wong doesn't know how to doesn't doesn't milk anything. <laughs> yeah. We know that. Um, so yeah, I so you know, final verdict. I'm guessing you're saying flee it for me. I'd say TV it um, for the few interesting magical battles, or for a little bit of Raymond Wong nostalgia. Um, but if you're not interested really in either of those things, then you can give it a pass. So yeah, flee the hell away from me. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. Um yeah, let's see. Uh da, 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 chat, a couple of comments in the chat room. Kenneth says commercial. Wilson Yip is fine and making bigger movies is fine, but drifting from what made him great, the small and the deep is sad. Hopefully he has it in him to deliver commercially at least some other uh, films. Uh, some other small, deep, and quirky rather. 
Um, and he says, does anyone know what happened to the rumored Edmund Pang Wilson Yip collaboration about a magician? Did it turn uh, into this project? I've never heard anything about that, actually. It's um, it's it's not the the Tony Lung magician thing, right? No, that's Derek Yee. Yeah. Um. No, I've never heard anything about a Power Charm magician movie. Mm. So what's what's with all the magic this year? I mean, first you've got the. It's like a big year for magic. They had this show on TVB called um, I don't remember what it was called, but it was hosted by Sammy. And the radio DJ, who's been in a couple, you know, movies like uh, My Sweetie. And it was sort of like American Idol, but with magicians from all around Hong Kong and China and Asia. Um, and then now you've got this film, and then you, later we've got the Tony Lung magician film. It's like the year of magic for some reason. Yeah, but none of it is really magical, yeah. sadly. <laughs> I had to go there. These <laughs> Green West Green. All right, now, originally I'd hoped to have another East Screen slash West Screen film to talk about with uh, Strawberry Cliff, but I didn't have time to get out and watch that one. Um, but I did want to take a moment to, I mentioned this on the last show, to talk a little bit about Conan the Barbarian, um, because I had gotten a chance to rent this through iTunes. It didn't come out here in Hong Kong, um, which was kind of surprising until I saw it, and then I realized <laughs> why nobody spent any time on it. Um, so Conan the Barbarian is uh, the remake of so, sort of the classic character uh, originally played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. This film was directed by Marcus Nispel, um, produced by a whole slew of people who, you know, obviously thought they were going to do something good and uh, probably met lots and lots of disappointment, based on the classic works of Robert E. e. Howard. Um, and starring in the title role is Jason M Momoa. Um, if you've watched any TV in the last 10 years or so, you probably know who he is. Um, he was a major character on Stargate Atlantis for a while. And last year in Game of Thrones, he was a, a sort of a... He was a major character at first, and then he kind of shifted roles to become more of a supporting character. Um, but he had a really great role. And I think part of the reason why he got this role for Conan was maybe because of what he was doing there. And if you look at the two contrasting characters uh, where he's the sort of Dothraki, Dothraki king versus um, uh, the barbarian lord here um, it really shows that it's nothing more than direction uh, that's gone wrong here um, so basically it tells sort of an origin story of Conan uh, who's basically born of war um, right right at the beginning there's a there's a battle scene with the Sumerian barbarians his father uh, the the leader of the, the, that this, this particular clan of Sumerians, played by Ron Perlman, basically cuts Conan from the womb of his wife as she's been wounded in battle. Um, and so that sort of sets up the story. Now, if you watched any of the build-up to this movie, you probably saw what I saw, which was the trailer for this excellent sequence where it shows Conan as a young boy, played by um, young actor Leo Howard, who was... Um, He's been in a couple things. I think he was in uh, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra as one of the young, I think, snake eyes or somebody when he was training as a very young boy. He's a, he's a martial arts actor who's been like training in martial arts since he's a very young age. And he, he's, he's got some skills. The kid's got some skills. Um, and, and he's got the attitude that was just perfect for the role he was playing here. So he plays, um, 
you know, sort of a preteen version of Conan, where he's where all the boys of the village are supposed to run around the village with a small egg in their mouth. And so they're they're supposed to run through the wilderness and then back to the village without breaking the egg. And of course, part of it is is they rough house with each other to try and, you know, prevent anybody from making it back successfully to see who's sort of the strongest and toughest. So d out during this event, um, they, you know, they, the boys uh, stumble across a hunting party of these thrall creatures. I, I've, I'm not sure what they were called um, officially, but basically the young Conan, um, he goes to town on them and he takes like four of them down in just what is an amazing fight sequence that's visual, but it's also brutal and, and graphic. And, and he ends up, you know, returning to the village when most of the other boys have fled and, and he sort of, you know, faced this challenge head on and he, and he brings these heads back to the village. That was the best sequence uh, of the entire film. Um, from there, it's all downhill, which is which is kind of sad. Ron Perlman was 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 good. Um, the, the film, too, is narrated by Morgan Freeman. I think I mentioned that last week, which is just weird. Uh, Morgan Freeman has a great voice for narration. You know, you, you think of Morgan Freeman and you're thinking of things like Ken Burns videos or something, um, you know, documentaries and stuff, but not Conan. Um, it just seems out of place. And basically the plot then follows that there's a warlord who's played by um, Stephen Lang, the, the villain from uh, Avatar and the uh, the actor in the, the, the current TV series Terra Nova, You've been following with that. He plays this this warlord villain who's on this quest to uh, put back together this skull helmet or this skull mask. And once it's um, put back together, he, it's supposed to give him great power. It's a very typical sort of fantasy Conan thing. There's always some kind of device, some kind of, you know, MacGuffin, if you will, or some red herring that's supposed to bring doom and gloom. And they always end up getting it together at the end, and then the hero goes in and, and stops him. Um, I think Jason Momoa was fine as Conan, except when he opened his mouth. Because uh, anytime he talked, he sounded like a surfer dude, pretty much. And, and part of that was the lines that were written for him, but part of it was, was just the way things were directed and paced. Well, as um, he compared to uh, Arnold? Well, see, Arnold didn't talk a lot. Um, and, and that was... In part, if you go back, especially for the first film, th this this one is a lot more like the second film. This uh, the second uh, Conan the Destroyer um, had a lot more of Arnold talking, and there was a lot more cheese. And I'd say it's even more along the lines of Red Sonja. If if anybody is out there has actually seen Red Sonja with Bridget Nielsen and Arnold, um, but this is um, you know in in Conan the Barbarian, Arnold didn't talk a lot back in those days. Arnold's English wasn't uh, what it is today. And I think that in that one, the director kind of coached Arnold to say less, you know, because Conan was a man of action, not a man of words. And so in that film, it really works well. Here, it's just too, you know, Conan's just talking way too much. Um, the, 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 some of the fight sequences that, that come afterwards, it's kind of just by the numbers. And I was, I was actually really bored. And I was really looking forward to this film. Some of the art direction is nice in places, and it has the look and feel of... Frazetta covers that you'd see on a Conan book or a calendar, for example. Um, but other places, just it looks kind of overdone and, and flat and, and washed out. Um, there's a sequence where Conan's fighting like these sand zombies that are sort of made out of sand. 
which is kind of interesting. Um, but everything that sort of follows after is just kind of dull and and a bit boring. Um, Stephen Lang is the villain. Um, I don't know. I kept seeing him once I figured out who he was because um, he has some pretty heavy makeup on. I just kept seeing him, the guy, the, you know, the, the commander from Avatar. Um, so it sort of kept taking me out uh, of the film. Which is also what he's doing on Terra Nova too, right? Well, kind of, sort of. In Terra Nova, you're really, the, the very last episode before the season finale, um, they uh, or the mid-season finale, I would say. I'm, I'm not sure if they hit the mid-season finale, but the last episode I watched, they basically sort of established his goals and motivations and why he's doing some of the things he's doing and why he's a hard nose. So it's been kind of back and forth. You're not sure whether you're supposed to like him or not, um, if he's a good guy or, or a bad guy yet. And I think they're pushing him more in the good guy kind of vein right now, um, sort of to be opposite of what he was in Avatar. But it's still the same kind of feel that you get from the same kind of vibe that you get from the role. And once I figured out who he was, that was all I saw here too. Um, and I really didn't think he was the best choice for the role. I mean, he's certainly nowhere near the the level that um, uh, oh, what's his uh, what's his name? Uh, Darth Vader. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, uh, James Earl James Earl Jones. Yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, he had nowhere near the presence of James Earl Jones did as uh, uh, Thulsa Doom in the, the the original one that Arnold did. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of disappointing. It was kind of lackluster. There wasn't enough magic in it for my taste. I was hoping for a lot more magic, a lot more monstrosities. There, you know, there are a couple, but they're just kind of—I don't know—they were just kind of weak and and sort of by the numbers kind of things that you would expect to see. And, and by the end, the sort of the climactic battle was less than climactic. It, it kind of fell short of my expectation. Um, Push come to shove, I'd say it's if you're really a huge fan of fantasy, it's okay as a rental, so maybe TV it, but on you know, expect badness on the level of Red Sonia. And if you don't like that kind of that, those kind of things, it's a skip it, it's a flee it for sure. So, yeah, Conan well, the Barbarian. I don't know if the flee is fleet away from us, apparently, yeah. here and all. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing too, because apparently it was in 3D. Um, so, uh, we, we didn't have to pay for the 3d um so yeah there's that any any uh anything on your way of uh you want to mention for west screen before we wrap things up here uh yeah i watched uh the baseball film moneyball which uh we won't be getting in hong kong until february so um it, do you like are you a baseball fan paul no not a sports fan okay, but i've heard I good think, things about the movie the movie is is good but of course it's better if you're a baseball fan because the film itself it's it's about the the so-called moneyball effect which is um using statistics uh essentially um using statistics from each of a player's um history uh using i think the the on the on-base average or something uh essentially to 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 build a baseball team and i mean there's a whole book written on that so we don't need to so the film doesn't really go too specific into it but what i most admired is how it um depicted the trading world you know how how players get traded and boardroom scenes you know with uh brad pitt playing the general manager of the oakland athletics how he how he essentially trades the players to about talking to owners and the whole process is written by it's co-written by aaron sorkin and those scenes are great um 
I would recommend it, especially if you're a baseball fan. But I think, Paul, if you're not a sports fan, you might not like it so much, I think. But no, I, I, I personally liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Happy Feet 2, uh, we'll talk about it. It comes out, I think, next month in Hong Kong. So I'll be reviewing that, and uh, you can catch it, and uh, we can talk about that. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Just a quick reminder as we close out our show for this week. Um, our show is now on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support. Um, and speaking of Android, I am the proud owner of an Android now. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. How are yeah, you liking I, that? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big learning curve, I'll tell you. Um, I, as somebody who's used an iPhone for the past, what is it, three, three and a half years now, um, yeah, there's just a, it's, it's, I have to wean myself off of the teat that is Apple, basically, <laughs> because um, I'm just so used to doing things in a certain way, and I was kind of disappointed with the phone at first, because I, um, you know, I was like, oh, I can't do this, and, and well, how come I can't do this, and, and, and I, it's not that I can't do it, it's I have to learn how to do it, it's different, they have different approaches to things. Um, but I got, I ended up getting a Galaxy Note, um, which I'm really enjoying because of the size. It's really big and it feels nice. I have big, huge, gigantic shaped hands and the iPhone always felt a little small in my hand. And this has big, uh, it's big size, feels good. Um, I love the screen real estate and it's just, uh, getting used to the different platform is, is, you know, taking some time, but I'm slowly doing it. And so far I'm really enjoying it. Um, I... I would say that um, it, it's not quite as, I, I don't know how to put my finger on it. The, the Android platform, I think it's using what's called Gingerbread as an operating system right now. It's not as snappy as my wife's uh, iPhone 4, I would say. Um, but it does some things that, that I really like um, and so, some things that, um, you know, I, could, I couldn't have done easily on an, on an Apple. The one thing, my one big disappointment was I bought it here in Hong Kong and I'm stuck with the Hong Kong store and I don't seem, I, I don't see any option to switch to the U.S. store because their store operates differently. You know, in, in the iPhone operating system world, if you have an iPhone and you have a credit card from a different country, you can switch to that store's country mm. simply by registering your name and, and your, your ID and, and that credit card. But I'm not able to do that here, and there are some. There are a couple apps that I would like to get that are only available in the U.S. store, and they're not in the Hong Kong store. And I've done some searching online. It talks about this thing called rooting your phone, which I guess is sort of like jailbreaking your phone. But it seems a lot more common for people to do it on Android systems. I'm not really to the point where I want to do that right now because um, I'm still just kind of learning how to use it. But so far, so good. Um, I will. I will keep things updated uh, as I go along. But I am finding um, new new ways to listen to podcasts, uh, and one of those ways is Stitcher. 
and uh it's it's useful oh, nice for you to bring it back yeah it's 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 very useful because um they don't have quite as robust of a store system as uh, itunes but itunes as i've said before is full of problems in and of itself um but yeah that's my little early christmas present to myself from my wife um so yeah there's uh they'll, they'll, I'll, I'll i'll talk more about that uh, probably after i've had a chance to use it over the Christmas break. If you'd like to get in, back in touch with us, though, between now and then, or any about anything in general, whether it's uh, technology, whether it's Kevin's trip to Japan, or some of the films we're talking about, of course, please visit our website at www.concast.com, or, or you can stop by in iTunes or at Stitcher and leave us some comments. We'd love to hear comments, ratings, reviews, whatever you'd like to say about the show, things you'd like to see done differently. Um, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. The show Twitter is uh, twitter.com slash concast, or you can follow me over at twitter.com slash foxlore. And of course, I encourage everybody to follow Mr. Ma over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, because he really brings out a lot of good and interesting movie information on a daily basis to uh, soothe your brains with. Uh, of course, you can email us directly at eScreen at gmail.com, and if you'd like to, you can attach a file, a segment, a short review, um, keep it in sort of an MP3 format, and we might just play it here on the show. Uh, let me show us, shout out a big thanks to uh, Rob, Go- Go- Rob Gobber, excuse me, over at Snauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen over at lovehongkongfilm.com, lovehkfilm.com, excuse me, uh, for keeping us out and about and watching Hong Kong films. Of course, to Kevin for taking the time out of his busy schedule over in Japan to come on and do a show this week. And, of course, to all of you, the listeners out there, and you guys out in the chat room, including Kenneth, Matthew, and uh, Don, Ryu Ganji, and everybody else who stopped by to talk with us, um, and all of you listening out there, however you listen to the show, um, we appreciate the fact that you're listening, and we love having you out there to talk with us. Um, next show is going to be episode 93. I'm not really sure what we're going to be doing yet. Um, it's either going to be a normal show and then a Christmas special, or it might actually be the Christmas special. We're going to, I've got to coordinate with Kevin a little bit on schedules and, and seeing what we're going to be doing. But, um, uh, if we don't have another normal show, we will be having at the very least a Christmas special, uh, coming up that should be out in a couple weeks. And that will be our last show for this, uh, season. Which is uh, technically this year? You mean? Well, yeah. This 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 year's ending our uh, our second. What is it? Our second season, um, and we'll be coming back in January for our third season. Ah, uh, season three and three. That's when uh, that's when Heroes got really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so did I use yeah. this last time already? Because season two is when Heroes got bad. Yeah. But well, you know, it's, I think we're more along the lines of. Uh, <laughs> Season two of The Walking Dead. We've gotten really, really slow this year. Oh dear. Um, so yeah, hopefully things will pick up in Whoa. season three. Well, just so we don't turn stupid either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know. It might be too late for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, all of that will be coming up for our next episode. Um, that and much more. Until then, this is East Screen West Screen. Wishing all of you good viewing, happy holidays. And if we don't see you next week, we'll see you next year. All right. See you next time, everybody. Uh